from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast, and it is the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, all that lovely stuff. And we are joined here in the studio today on a snowy Friday by Jennifer Dunn, the Executive Director of the London Views Women's Center, uh, regular Green Party candidate Carol Dick is here, as is London Deputy Mayor Sean Lewis. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Hello. Hello. Happy Hello. Friday. Happy yeah. birthday, and Sean. Happy birthday to Deputy Mayor Lewis. Inching closer to those senior discounts. <laughs> <laughs> Got a few more trips around the sun, but... <laughs> You'll get there soon. I believe in you. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about this week. And uh, the, the topic of this podcast on Tuesday, I had uh, Craig Smith from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario on the show, and he and I had a lengthy discussion about violence in schools and kids' mental health. This is in the wake of a report by People for Education saying that Ontario's education system, their words, not mine, is spiraling right now. Do we think Ontario's education system is spiraling right now, or are we concerned about violence in classrooms right now? Yes. <laughs> yes. Is that, is that else yeah. I, I think so. I, I listened to, to that and I liked what he said. He said, every act of violence gets in the way of learning, teachers working um, on damage control instead of doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I 100% agree with that. I think that um, I'm just going to speak to my own personal experiences with my kids being in school. Um, there's a complete lack of respect and a huge sense of entitlement from from kids parents and I think that more needs to be done I mean there's not enough supports in place for kids that have gone through well everybody's gone through the pandemic like everybody's Mm -hmm. gone through it but there's just not and everything has stayed as it is so I know for my boys it's super difficult like you have to think about all of the things that they've missed in the three years that this has been going on I mean we have to actively work on self-regulation with them like that you know like that's and that's us. And mm-hmm. we are pretty involved. We're privileged in the sense that we're really able to be involved in, in our kids' school um, and work with our kids. But that's not the same for other other families. And there needs to be more support for the kids. Um, public awareness is definitely key. So talking about it, like you talking about it on, on your show, Craig, I think is is really good. Um, because something something needs to be done and it shouldn't always be the responsibility of, of the teachers. I think parents really need to be involved with some of this as well. I think you are really hitting the nail on the head there, Jen. Um, that And that sense of entitlement and, and the lack of respect, it was building before COVID. Mm-hmm. And yes, certainly uh, our kids, no matter what ages they are, have missed out on a lot. I mean, most of the boys in my life through hockey have missed out on the majority of their high school years. Uh, you know, proms, graduation ceremonies, all of those things, uh, a lot of, you know, varsity sports, school clubs and activities, bands and, and the, those kind of things. Uh, so it has been hard. They have missed something that um, really you would have to go back to wartime generations to find a comparable cohort that has missed out on those kind of things um it's been tough on them but the families the parents in particular we've we've all got to make and and you know the coaches and and the uncles and and those kind of things too because I I think about my own role in this we've all got to make more time to make talking to them and helping them a 
priority because there are not enough supports even available. You know, I, I, I know the people of education or people for education are, are calling for resources and supports. I heard uh, Craig say the same thing on the podcast on Tuesday, but I did hear uh, Craig Smith acknowledge that, you know, one of the problems is there's simply not enough people with the training to do this work. Right. And those, Even if you just had an unlimited yeah. budget tomorrow, you can't create the people out of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. So those resources are just not going to appear and start start helping. Uh, and it would take years to build the capacity to, to really meet the need. You know, this this is years of training and education for people to become psychologists and psychiatrists. And especially if you're going to specialize in child psychology, um, you just don't graduate those folks tomorrow and get them starting to provide help and support. So unlimited budgets would not make a difference here. Um, and, you know, add to that, I know Carol will appreciate this. We'd also have to supply those resources and and funding supports to a bunch of different school boards because we don't even have an amalgamated school board. So (laughs) we're dividing our resources up because we would have to do all these different school boards too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a bunch of different issues here. One of the things that really sticks out for me, just what you said about training and being prepared and thinking ahead, that is absolutely not what we're seeing with this current government. So when we should be investing in schools and when we should be investing in our healthcare system and when we should be investing in mental health supports, instead, we're not even you know, we're cutting back on the budget. So how is that planning forward? And I look at But this, it's not even this government, Carol. Oh, like I know. Like the McGinty it's, government, the Wynn government. We've been cutting these through the good times yeah. for years. And now, and now that the bad times are it. there and we need them, they're not yeah. there. Well, and this is the thing, is that when this was all happening at the start of COVID, there were certain countries like Germany that recognized, oh, hold up, we're going to have some serious mental health crises issues with children. Maybe we should start investing millions of euros into this area knowing that we're going to have problems. And so they started doing that. And yet here we are cutting back. And I just want to say, like, I have the same thing. I've got kids that are in school and they are also affected by this violence. Um, But again, it's been happening for a while. And for instance, you know, one of my children was dealing with a really bad situation in their class. And by the end of the school year, they were actually behind where they were before. Like at that point, hardly able to write her own name. Um, But I think we also have to think about the teachers who are really struggling. I know some teachers that are dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. They um, have had active threats against their lives. They've faced violence. And so, yeah, it's on us as parents, but we have to understand there were kids during the lockdown that were in very abusive situations. And now they're obviously going to start acting out. And, you know, they were already in a bad situation without supports. And we have to recognize this. This was a totally different situation. And we're dealing with something so much larger. Um, And we need the supports there. But, you know, it's going to, as Sean says, it's going to take time for us to build this up. But we can't just leave it as it is. And these problems spill beyond the walls of the school, too, and beyond the walls of the home. Uh, I I hear it from merchants in Argyle uh, right now. Uh, in the mall area, the problems they're having with high school kids mm-hmm. on their lunch breaks, mm-hmm. the fights that are breaking out. Yeah, and full credit to our, the principal at that school; he's doing his very best. But then you do have parents who just simply don't even respond to the request for a meeting. Like it's so. There's part of it is that we do need to invest in in beefing up our support systems uh, within the public sphere part of it too is that we as individuals as parents as as caregivers we need to step up and and do what we can now and and be accountable ourselves to helping these kids and I think it's like sometimes 
coming back from it seems so silly to talk this way coming back from COVID um, <laughs> it was expected that the kids are just okay jump in let's go here we go and that's not the case like you have to go back and 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 I say this all of the time at the London Abuse Women's Center like back to the basics what does that mean like how do we connect with families again how do we do that at my kids school um, the school council has taken it upon themselves to create um, we're calling them caregiver cafes so invite parents to come in again some of the parents have never been in the school before Mm -hmm. because of COVID so to create that um, sense of community again which at such a it's such a small thing Mm -hmm. but it can mean the difference of maybe a kid destroy and I know this is not violence but a kid destroying a tree on school property because they respect the place that they're in starting really small like that you know you mentioned parents having not been in the school so my daughter's junior kindergarten year I didn't set foot inside that school the entire school year wasn't in there once I've been in there a couple of times now but it, it, it did, and this is just like a very, very micro example, but it did take away from my ability to sort of understand how the school day works and what's going on there. Because, okay, we will from here and we go to there and we go to this room and go to that room. And I don't really know where any of this stuff is. And so there's some of that, that it's just, there's there was a disconnect. And we're, I'm not going to say we're back to normal now because I don't think that's necessarily fair to say. But we're in a space that looks a hell of a lot more like normal like 2019 normal than than we used to be. And because of this, there is an adjustment here, but that two years or two plus years where things were very much not normal is is something that we're going to spend a lot of time catching up from. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have done that. I think that if we had some more forward thinking decision makers, we wouldn't have had to spend so much time outside of school. Sadly, there's no going back on that now. That's just the way things are. But we are in a bit of a deficit here when it comes to the way that we are all sort of connected to each other within a school community. And that's not the only reason for these troubles, but that is a reason for these troubles. And I I don't know how we fix that. Well, and kudos to the, um, Jen talked about an initiative in in her kid's school. Uh, I want to really say kudos to the home and school associations out there Mm -hmm. that are are getting parents together and bringing activities back and being involved in their schools. Uh, I know a couple weeks back I was at Prince Charles Public School to meet with the home and school association you know and they're starting to plan their spring fun fair and the the fact that we're going to create some some social activities for kids again and start building rebuilding those social connections that were lost like those are really important they seem simple but they're so important to kids' social development. And when the social development is there, then you do see a decrease in those acts of violence. You do see more respect Mm -hmm. for authority figures because they're interacting with each other in a more positive way. Uh, Kids are, I think, I still believe, kids are more resilient than adults. A lot of them have bounced back pretty darn impressively. Uh, But that doesn't mean that they don't need some help to get back there. And and that's on us as adults to step up and provide. And none of this is the children's fault, right? Like, so you're right. Kids are resilient. But yeah, it's totally, it's it's the parents, it's the caregivers. And we have to remember, too, that the teachers at the schools are also parents. Some of them are also caregivers. And they're going through all of the same thing, trying to manage their own family while trying to work with children that mm-hmm. are that are that are not theirs and sometimes you know maybe even have to deal with a child and then a, and a parent that yeah. you know might not be the same as as others or or whatever and it's I think there's a really um um 
like a big balance that that has to happen but to be honest with you I do think that yeah it takes a long time for child psychologists or whatever like if we needed to get um, mental health support in the school yes there has to be training and proper people to be in the schools but also there could be one-off trainings perhaps in the meantime so you could have information sessions for example for teachers really stretch out maybe those um, P PD day or PA day I don't know who says what I say PA day I don't know <laughs> I, I, um, think, I think it's PD I have no idea it doesn't matter um, but stretch out maybe that time maybe some more learning opportunities for some teachers on um, what it means to be trauma-informed what it means um, to have a family that maybe is a new family to Canada versus a family that's been there are so many different kind of like intersections of how this mm -hmm. this could be and everything plays a role so I don't think there's one answer but I think what I'm trying to say is that the teachers also deserve more support around this too there's no reason mm -hmm. that there needs to be an act of violence so bad that the entire class is locked in their classroom for three hours and can't roam the halls because of something that has happened mm -hmm. like yeah. We or need to clearing get to classrooms is the thing that yeah. I hear as yeah, well. Is like, there's yeah. a there's a kid having a bit of a, a situation in one classroom, so they take all the other students out of there for the for their own safety. Yeah, yeah. but and we also need yeah. to think of the safety of the kid that's on the the other side of that yeah, too, of right? So what does that mean? And I know there are policies in place, and things have to happen for a reason, but some of those policies might need to be reexamined now because we're in a different time, like. What does that mean and how do we get more people involved? All the way from the Ministry of Education down to the the, the parent involved in the situation and the child. Like, what does that mean? Well, and even some of those one-off sort of workshops that are available for parents to attend yeah. uh, who, who maybe don't know how to approach this, but if we give them some tools, we'll be better yeah. equipped to handle it. Mm -hmm. Because I think the other thing that we have to, to look at is this problem is not the only silo of, of mental health problems we have. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jen, you and I have talked with Craig on this podcast before about the need for mental health and addictions treatment out in the community uh, and how we're dealing with those who are experiencing homelessness. Um, the The mental health system has long been the forgotten child of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And now all of that is coming home to roost. It is not just in the education system. Uh, we see it on the streets. We see it in the workplaces. We, we know, you know from your work with the London Abused Women's Centre uh, how it happens in, in homes. And there are just not enough resources and, and enough trained professionals, and it will take us years to get there. But if we can start equipping each other with tools in our daily lives to better deal with these ourselves. I think that's that would be a small but important step in the right direction. I agree. And then the awareness around all of this too, like even just having this conversation, someone is listening to this and is like, oh my God, I'm not alone with thinking this. Or, you know, maybe I should reach out to so-and-so and, and or contact my school for this. Everything down to what to feed my kid for lunch. Like, could you imagine feeling so isolated that you're on maybe you're you're on your own you don't even know what to feed your kid for lunch or what how that works or what the rest of the kids are doing let alone solve or try to be involved with a huge mental health situation or violence in your school like how do you even get to these higher level conversations when some of those small simple things but are really impactful are a problem carol where do we start with this that's well, what I wonder, because it's, it's, it's a big job. Well, I think like going back to what we were talking about before and what you mentioned about the parents not being able to come into the school. So we experienced that as well. And it was such a loss of community and not having the parents involved in the schools or 
feeling that they could access the teachers, accessing the teachers only through emails. And often this was like a really laborious process, you know, trying to get in contact with some teachers when there were some very significant problems happening. When we were able to be a part, like a community that was built around the school, that's when we could start addressing some of these issues. Parents could talk to each other. Parents knew each other. But, you know, with the way it was with everything shutting down, especially in the younger grades for the kids going to school for the first time, they didn't even know the other parents, whereas that's such a fundamental part of the school. So first of all, you know, trying to rebuild that community and parent involvement in schools will be huge. It's the same thing like with the coaches. If we don't have the resources right now to get all the mental health professionals that we need, well, then we need to rely on each other and the community that we can build. So that's a first, and I'm glad to see the schools are starting to open up more. Um, But it is a lot to put on the teachers as well, trying to deal with so many issues and all the extra events. So to be able to get the the parents involved in volunteering again will be huge. I mean, the simple things like we used to have the movie nights, things like that in the schools. I mean, it was such a, you know, it's a positive experience, especially for those kids that are struggling at home, that they can have the school as a sense of community. If the school is just a place you go to learn and you're already in a really stressful situation at home, then, you know, you're not getting those benefits. And yeah, you're going to act out. So these are some of the things we really need to think about in the short term, but in the long term, I'd really like to see that we're not cutting back on on education and also any of the healthcare areas. We need to be, you know, trying to, you know, not claw back nurses and others with their um, with their wages. We should be upping those wages so that we can actually encourage this generation of, you know, high school students to go into healthcare and actually think, oh, I'm going to get a good salary. So you know, things to think about. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's a big job. And, and I'm going to say the same thing that I said to Craig Smith. Uh, there's a lot to do here. And I don't know if this particular government is the right partner to accomplish a lot of these things. Sorry, but they're just, they're, they're not because they, they've shown they're not serious about this. And, and, and Sean pointed out earlier, and he's right, several governments have let the, the situation deteriorate to this point. I just don't think this is the group to fix it. Well, and I, I don't know if there's even a government in waiting that knows how to fix it right, right. now. Well, and there's that too. Yeah. Um, um, or at the very least, like it's, a, it's not a short-term fix, put it no. that way. No. But, no. And, and listening to people that are experiencing or that are the most vulnerable in this situation, like any situation, might actually be the answer. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the government should listen to the people on the ground well, for once. This like, was one of the things <laughs> in your in your pod, like, yeah, in your podcast when when uh, Craig mentioned that really we need to talk to the students as well. Yes. Yes. Talk to the students. Talk to the high school students. Talk to the older level students in elementary schools. I mean, like we don't want to overwhelm the younger students, but Definitely talk to the high school students. They have a lot of great suggestions and ideas. This, absolutely. Uh, I mean, this is off topic, but uh, before uh, Councillor Cuddy and myself and and Councillor Ferreira uh, sent our letter of support to the the school board about getting secondary students transitioning off of yellow school buses and onto public transit, which, uh, you know, to me, other communities are doing this. This is a no-brainer. We should do it. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't pull this... You know, this wasn't monkeys flying out of my butt. As uh, uh, I, I think I used that phrase on t- to, to borrow from Wayne's World the other night. Yeah. You did, and that's that that triggered that uh, use today. But um, it was from talking to students. It was from talking to high school students who were like, "This sucks." Yeah. You know, this would be so much easier if I could have afford a transit pass. Yeah. I can't go. I can't participate in that before school or that after school activity because 
I got to get the bus home. Yep. Um, but when you talk to students, they don't even understand why the adults are, are, are like, oh, well, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. There's some who hate it. There's some who love it. They're like, this is, this is stupid. Yeah. This is easy. Just give mm-hmm. us the transit passes. Exactly. This is, I've said this so many times because when we were living in Germany, the kids, all the kids up to the end of high school get free public transportation passes for the entire year. That means they can get themselves to their activities. They can get themselves home from school. It gives them independence. And Part-time kids, jobs, movies everything. with friends, that social interaction. And it, the responsibility of that isn't on the parents as well who might already be struggling. And I remember when I was a teen and I was like scrambling trying to get change so I could get a bus ticket so I could go downtown. Just let them have the freedom. And a to little be able bit of environmental it. benefit too because you don't exactly. need so many, you don't need four parents driving their four kids to yeah. Silver City for a movie on Friday. Friday night, they yeah. can use their school bus passes to get on buses that are going there already anyway with other people on them. Exactly. So, so talk talking to the, to the kids, <laughs> listening to their ideas is yeah. going to be a part of this too. 100%. Uh, quick thing on that. Uh, look, I, I know that you're going to talk to people to talk about, you know, capacity and whatever for the, for the bus routes. And, and, and I, I get that. Uh, but to me, this makes so much sense that, oh, this is going to cost, you know, $10 million to implement more than what it, it costs to get kids on the yellow bus. Like, okay, that's fine. That's, <laughs> that's, worth, that's worth $10 million to me. Yeah. Like, yep. and I don't think it would be that much, but that's, it would be worth it. I don't know what we spend on the yellow bus, Sean, at the school board. You may have that number off the top of your head. I don't. But it's like, if we can direct that to LTC, great. Well, I genuinely believe, um, and I'm not going to quote a number off the top of my head because I don't have the exact number handy and I don't want to misquote it, but I actually believe there's a savings for the school board here as well. Mm -hmm. If we're using the model that we use with Western and Fanshawe students as the template, it will actually be more cost effective for them to do this. And how many buses get canceled in a day because we don't have enough drivers? Yep. Yeah. How many, you know, we've got a a bad weather event today. Our unionized group that are compensated properly, they show up to work. They do. The and yellow bus drivers, not always the same. No, and, and uh, you know, those are not great working conditions either. No. Uh, yeah. For people who are asking to look after our kids uh, on the way to and from school. So mm-hmm. for the, the high school students, having them be part of this conversation uh, already, for me, has been really mm-hmm. important to tell me I'm on the right track here. Um, and when we're talking about their mental health and, and supports in the school community, I think they've got to be yeah. part of the conversation too. Yeah. Well, and just as a as an add-on to that, because they seem to tie, a lot of times when the school buses are cancelled but school is not cancelled, my kids in high school, a lot of the kids aren't there because they can't get themselves to mm-hmm. school and maybe they don't have the money to pay for a bus ticket. And that actually harms their mental health that they are not able to go to school, especially if, you know, they're kids that are super stressed about missing the work and it's just adding on. So, you know... This is something that is Well, and when we're talking about their mental health, the, the confidence and self-esteem that they can gain by give, being given that little bit yeah. of trust and independence yeah. to get and yourself freedom. to your friend's yeah, house, get yourself to that part-time job, maybe. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you can work that shift at McDonald's after mm-hmm. school because you don't have to worry about mom being able to pick you up. You yeah. can just take the bus home afterwards. Yeah. Um, you, so you can start to build a little bit of financial independence for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the freedom of mobility that it, it gives. And boy, a little bit of self-esteem and, and independence can go a long way to boosting mm-hmm. kids' mental health. So I think even some, this is, you know, certainly not intended to be a mental health solution, but when we trust our kids a little bit, I think it's amazing what you'll see that they can do uh, when we just give them a little bit of responsibility, a little bit of uh, self-esteem and confidence to be involved and to help 
care for themselves, especially yeah, when we're talking about agency. older kids. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's shift stories here. I want to talk about what's going on in Ottawa, and they're looking into uh, a political scandal there in regards to what might be happening with election interference and things along those lines. Now, here in London, when the ombudsman looks into that stuff, they find nothing. Uh, but they may actually find something with this Ottawa situation. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, uh, I mean, I know Carol wrote to council about the strategic plan. Um, we might have to have the ombudsman see if there was a secret meeting about that letter before she sent it in. Um, I, I know Carol? London Abuse no. Women's Centre has talked to us about uh, a strategic pillar, uh, the safe city for women and girls. Um, I, I don't recall Jen having a secret meeting with council, but I, unless I missed the invite. Maybe they didn't um, invite you, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot to see here at London City Hall. People put letters on the public agenda all the time, and that's exactly what the ombudsman said was this was kind of a ridiculous uh, complaint. But, you know, we, we do have to be careful when we're talking about whether or not there's, there's scandal because you think about just that ombudsman complaint about whether or not there was a, a secret meeting to decide who we were going to appoint to the two vacant seats on council. Uh, because there were some letters on a public agenda. That cost uh, the ombudsman's staff and office time and energy. Uh, the clerks for, at City Hall had to be interviewed. Uh, people who wrote letters were interviewed. Um, a lot of time and energy gets sucked into these things. So you you got to make sure that you're not just crying wolf and, and calling for inquiries for an inquiry's sake. But in this case, it, pr it really looks like where there's smoke, there could be fire. Um, Although it seems like that way in Ottawa, like every <laughs> frequently every week. So, so here's what's happening. Justin Trudeau earlier this week has promised a new investigation into foreign influence in election matters. Okay, uh, this is in the wake of some global news reporting surrounding what's going on with a nomination race in Don Valley North, potentially being guided by actors on behalf of the Chinese government. All right, let's take a look into this. But now we've got situations where liberal uh, members of parliament are not showing up for certain committees. Uh, the conservatives are scoring own goals when, uh, you know, Michael Cooper is mocking Melanie Jolie saying, oh, I'm sure he was real intimidated by you. Like that, that, that's, that was garbage. It just, it's, it's become an absolute circus. Uh, do any of you think this 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 hurts the liberals long term when we get into election time? Is this something that's going to hurt the liberals? They, they've got a bunch of little scandals. I don't know how much Canadians are going to care about this one. And I know that people are going to listen to me and roll their eyes and say, Craig, it's our democracy. They should care. I, I, you, you're preaching to the choir here. I just don't know how, many, how much Canadians are going to care about this. Sean, what do you think? Well, first of all, I, I got to admit, I missed the memo as to when Parliament hasn't been a circus in yeah. the last couple of years. <laughs> Um, was there a week that that happened? Not that I can recall, no. Uh, <clears throat> Canadians should care very, very much about this because it is really, really dangerous if foreign actors are going to start to influence the outcome of our elections. We need to have a, a truly democratic society. I wish more people paid attention, uh, even to election campaigns themselves. I mean, we all, everybody in this room knows how abysmal the voter turnout has been in all of the elections at all levels of government recently. Um, but certainly if you think your government's not working for you now, how do you ever think it's going to start working for you in the future if outside influences are pulling the strings? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that's, 
a troublesome situation, obviously. Carol, do you think it matters to Canadians is the question. Um, does it matter to Canadians? Well, I I think so. I I was really disappointed by Trudeau's initial response, how he kind of just waved it off yep. like it was no big deal. And I thought, what are you doing? Um, this makes absolutely no sense. And I thought, well, that's going to hurt you right there because no one's going to trust you. If the allegations were that there was foreign interference so that you would win and then you were not going to engage in a deeper investigation into this, people are not going to trust you and it is going to hurt you. Um, I, I think we absolutely have to, just as Sean said, we have to be aware of this. This is a serious issue and I'm hoping that all of the, the leaders of the parties will take this seriously. There'll be a study and we can deal with how this is going forward because it will also affect voter turnout and engagement if people just think, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's going to be some foreign party involved or it's used by certain parties or certain groups of people to, um, you know, do exactly what we saw in the United States where they say, well, you know, there's a foreign interference. This is fake. If the person wins that they don't want to win, they'll just say, you know what, it was a fake election. Um, they can cause all sorts of problems. So we have to nip this in the bud now. Yeah, and it's really insidious when we're talking about the manipulation of, of things at the local level, like yeah. nomination meetings. You know, it's one thing for parties to have a preferred candidate. It's quite another for outside influences to be at the local level interfering in a way that puts their candidate beholden to them into the position to potentially become a member of parliament. I mean, elected officials are lobbied all the time by mm-hmm. both local, uh, you know, f- domestic interests and foreign interests. They're they're lobbied constantly, yeah. but there's a lobbyist registry. Those meetings are, are above board. They're on calendars. They can be tracked. You know who's meeting with who. Yeah. This kind of stuff, behind the scenes, manipulating yeah. local riding associations, mm-hmm. very, very dangerous because it's hard to track and i mean and just the threatening nature of some of this that was going on uh with that particular mp mp is like it's problematic and and when you have and this is from global news reporting when you have students who are from china being told you're going to lose your visa unless you go do this yeah that's again we're going to see how this works its way through and there are some people who are very connected in the intelligence community that have I think questions about global news reporting and some of the things don't necessarily add up according to them. And, and I, I, I'm not as connected in the intelligence community as those people, but I'll take their word at face value because I think they're, they're smart people. So we'll, I don't know how much of that story we're going to see proven out to be completely um, undisputed factual at any point. But if we've got someone saying to a student from China, you get on this bus and you go vote for this candidate, otherwise you're getting deported, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a problem. Jen, do you think this matters to Canadians at all? Is, something, is this a needle mover, do you think, this story? Well, I think I, I actually agree with um, Sean and Carol, to be honest, and everything that you said um, when you started talking makes complete sense to me. I think if there needs to be some kind of investigation to see what's happened. why? Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? Yep. I mean, prove that, <laughs> prove that what you say is true and figure out what's going on. End of story, right? Yeah. Could it could it be the harmful? fact that they were so resistant to it at the beginning? I think is going to be it's a ridiculous. Problem. Yeah. Like just do it. If you have nothing to hide, then just do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and 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 might this make Canadians not trust Trudeau? Sure, but everything that's everything all of the time. <laughs> yeah. Like there's so many different things, you know. So pay attention to it, and like Canadians, pay attention to it. See how involved you want to get, and all of that. 
but they have to do their due diligence and investigate mm-hmm. what has happened, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 we're going to see what that investigation's like. The thing about that investigation is it can say anything, and there's going to be a swath of Canadians that will not believe the result. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before about how, you know, there are, there's when I went down to the courthouse on Tuesday for um, the Shane Marshall, uh, what turned out to be a guilty plea, and there's the protesters outside calling me, you know, the media virus and yelling at me and all that stuff. There are some folks that are just so far gone as far as their their attachment to reality when it comes to this stuff that they're just they're not coming back and that's it for them and that's sad but that's the reality so it doesn't really matter what this investigation says there are gonna be people who don't believe it but there are still most canadians are going to i would suspect have some level of deference to whatever this investigation turns up whenever it's done by whoever it it winds up completing it but it is going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether this is something that Pierre Polyev actually really hones in on and focuses in on whenever we go to the polls next. Which I I I I I can't imagine that we get much into next year before we go into an election. Well, and it should make every party and every party leader take a step back mm-hmm. uh, because there has been a lot of of effort on all the parties' parts to outreach into ethnic communities, into communities of new Canadians. Which is good. Uh, get them involved, get them organized, get them participating, which is a positive. But you want to make sure that you have checks and balances in place to protect your local riding associations from that sort of manipulation at the same time. Uh, because uh, the manipulation didn't just pick that particular riding out of a hat. Yeah, mm-hmm. They well, identified that there was a population there that they could take advantage of. And they seemingly and and targeted them. Here's the other thing, and this is in the original reporting too. Nomination races, coloring outside the lines is a lot easier. There aren't there aren't as many rules. And in a riding like Don Valley North, the nomination race is the race. The Liberals are just going to win Don Valley North. It's the comparison I made is like it's like getting the Conservative nomination in rural Saskatchewan. Like, oh, you've got the nomination. Congratulations, you're an MP. Like the, like the the stuff with the the actual elections a formality. The nomination race is what matters. So the people who are deciding, hey, these are the nomination races we want to influence, likely have a pretty good idea that you're going to be an MP when you win this race, no matter how the rest of this goes. Mm-hmm. So there's that part of it as well. Last thing I want to talk about before I wrap up, Tim Hortons in the news this week. There were I think four people at my last last count that said that they were told by the Tim Hortons app they had won ten thousand dollars. Only to eventually get a message from Tim Horton saying, no, you haven't won $10,000. You have won $50 gift cards. <laughs> Slight difference in cash value there. Uh, Jen, should Tim Hortons have just given these people their money? So there's only four? <laughs> uh, that's, the num- that's the number of people who have come forward and said, yes, here's my name on it. I'm one of them. Uh, there, there may have been a few others, but Tim Horton says it was a small number. Oh so at, at, at right, right now, only four people have publicly said, this happened to me. Give them their money. <laughs> what the heck? It's a contest where you like, I don't know, I, I play it. I mean, I miss the whole trying to do it on the cup with the thing in your teeth but I mean (laughs) listen if whatever company is running their app and can't get it together to make sure that it's ready to go for the day that it's launched and then there are four people who were told that they won ten thousand dollars then they should get ten thousand dollars like if you can't do it then don't do it do you know what I mean it kind of reminds me not really this is a much smaller scale the whole and 
I'm going to bring up Taylor Swift, so I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> the, whole, the whole Ticketmaster Taylor Swift debacle. It's not the same. It's not the same level. But if a company who is supposed to do what they say they're going to do can't do it and there's a mistake, then just fix make the it mistake. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and what's $40,000 to Tim Hortons? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why when you said four, I didn't know it was only four. When yeah. you said four, I was like, I said to, I went to Sean, I went four? That's $40,000. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. And it can make a, probably a huge difference to those four people that of course. want it. Yeah. yeah. And maybe find yourself a new app vendor for the next time. Because yeah. if no they've kidding. got these kind of yeah. technical and problems, maybe you want somebody who's going to fix those before you launch the app. And it may be too late for this, but here's what I would have done if I was Tim Hortons. And I'm not a lawyer. I would have written the checks. So let's say it's let's say there's ten. They wind up getting ten of the woodwinds, hundred thousand dollars. Written the ten thousand dollar checks, and then said to my app provider, "You owe me a hundred thousand dollars because you screwed up, and I had to protect the brand by giving these people ten k. You owe me a hundred thousand dollars, and if you want to settle this in court, we can. That, that's that's how I would have gone about it because obviously there was a screw up somewhere." And, or you have someone internally who needs to be let go because they cost you $100,000. But to me, I would have protected the brand. Or you do this. You let everyone know, oh, our app was saying you won $10,000 when you didn't. We're going to give the people the money anyway. And you get advertising that you cannot buy because that's on every that's newscast. That's being a corporate citizen. That's a, yeah, Everybody every loves you for that. In the country. And, and this guy from, from, from Ingersoll, uh, his name's Jeremy McDougall. Uh, everyone in Ingersoll is going to hear about Jeremy getting $10,000 from Tim Hortons, even though there's an error. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. That's a nice thing that Tim Hortons did. Yeah. Now, Jeremy's hiring a lawyer to go after Tim Hortons. So, like, you turn something that could have been a, a, a decent positive into a, into a mess. And this is what happens with these big companies is they don't understand the real world, I think, sometimes. Because Tim Hortons is, like, their ownership is out of Brazil or something. And it's just like, you're this quintessential Canadian brand and that should matter to you, but it doesn't. I wish the OLG app would tell me that I won a million dollars. Whoops, you won a million dollars. Even if it was wrong, I'd go after the Ontario government for that. But Doug Ford owes me a million dollars. Uh, Carol, what should Tim Hortons have done with this? Well, I just think they should have paid. I mean, it was so obvious. Um, you know, if you've made a mistake, if there's a mistake, they, you know, if you take a product to, um, you know, if you're buying something and they scan it and by accident it says it's 29 cents instead of $2.99, you pay 29 cents. Well, this is the same thing essentially, yep. but in reverse, just pay it because they have made such a mess of this. Ten thousand dollars to them, a hundred thousand dollars to them. That is that's like, couch cushion money nothing. for these people. Yep. Yeah, it just makes no sense that they didn't. And uh, actually, we were talking about this this morning. I was talking with my partner about this, and he said, "Well, you know, really, it's not going to hurt them much, even if it's a you know bad for the reputation. They're essentially like a crown corporation monopoly. Yep. People are still going to keep going to Tim Hortons. It's not going to make a huge difference. You're like, right. What? You're going to go to Starbucks? No, who knows? <laughs> you know, people are you know die hard for their Tim Hortons. So. It'll just be a blip for them, but they could have turned it into something really great. And people are struggling right now. When you hear the stories of some of the people, lost jobs, they would help them with their debts. You know, everybody's struggling. You could have made this a really great thing, but you yep. screwed up. Well, I just like, here's yeah. an idea. Go back to the rims on the cups. I'm with Jen. I had that much better anyway. <laughs> Minus the germs, though. Yeah, you know, let's, like, yeah there's got to be a, there's gotta be a better way somehow. <laughs> uh, I, I, we're sitting in, in the classic Rock 98 one studio talking about this. Could you imagine the backlash on this radio station if we told someone they had won $10,000 only to tell them like a couple hours later, oh, by the way, it's 50 bucks yeah. and you can only spend it on donuts? <laughs> like, like, like we're a smaller company than Tim Hortons, obviously, but we just we, we, we could never in a million years get away with that. There'd be people with torches and pitchforks outside of the studio the next day. 
Uh, Tim Hortons, though, they can do it. So it's, 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 it's crappy, but that's the way things are. So uh, let's wrap up the podcast there because we've been talking for 40 minutes. So uh, thanks very much to, to Jen and to Carol and to Sean for coming in and talking with us. Happy birthday again, Sean. And thank you very much to all of you for downloading and listening and all that fun stuff. Reviews, thank you for that. At the Craig Needles Podcast, you can find us at classicrock981.com, londonnewstoday.ca, and on your favorite podcast app. The Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.